This is October 3rd, 2020, and the first day of our five-day October online session. I'm going to dust off a book that uh, I've drawn from for many times in Teisho. Last time was a couple of years ago. Uh, It's an anthology of Rinzai Zen. It's called The Original Face. It's a collection of different uh, um, segments of different Rinzai Zen teachers. For those of you who may not know, uh, for a long time now in Japan, uh, there have been two two schools of Zen. I'm just talking about Zen now. There are other kinds of Buddhism, of course, uh, most notably Pure Land Buddhism. Uh, But uh, in terms of Zen, there's the uh, what's called the Soto school and the Rinzai school. The Soto school is actually far more populous. The, uh, the vast majority of Zen centers, Zen temples and monasteries in Japan are Soto uh, temples and monasteries. Uh, but this is uh, the, this is a Rinzai Zen teachers, or actually the, our very first one uh, from China uh, was you use the original name Lin Chi. Lin Chi was this great Chinese master, and then uh, the Japanese they Japanized his name to Rinzai. So this first of these uh, different masters is uh, Zen master Dai Kaku, which means great enlightenment. He was born in the year 1213, so that made him a contemporary of the great Dogen. Uh, But he was born in China, Dogen is Japanese, he was born in China, Western China. Uh, He began in a typical way for Chinese Zen monks by uh, studying sutras. And, and various places under uh, uh, so then under several different Chan masters. Chan is Zen, of course, the Chinese word for Zen, or vice versa. Zen is the Japanese word for Chan. They both mean meditation, basically. And uh, he it re- says here that he finally realized enlightenment. Finally, finally, for most of us, it takes time. This uh, ripening process. By the way, I am reading from the introduction to this book, and the. Uh, the book was translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. That is, the original face <clears throat> is the title. And then he heard, after his enlightenment, uh, he heard that Zen was not well known in Japan, um, even though other 
Buddhist traditions had been flourishing in Japan. It wasn't Zen, no. Uh, so he uh, crossed the Japan Sea and uh, with several of his disciples. He was only 33 years old at the time. And then after that, he spent another 33 years teaching in Japan. He settled in this foreign country, Japan, and made that his, his home. And then he died at the age of 66, leaving some 24 enlightened successors. Well, that's enough. Just a little bit there on the great Daikaku, great enlightenment. And now we'll turn to his treatise on meditation. And he begins, Sitting meditation is the method of great liberation. All the teachings flow forth from this. Myriad practices are mastered this way. Supernormal powers, knowledge, wisdom, and virtue all arise from here. The path of life of humans and gods opens herein. All the Buddhas have entered and left by this door. Bodhisattvas practicing it have entered this door. Just a couple things here to pick up. Uh, supernormal, he mentioned supernormal powers. Um, these were, um, I guess, in China were uh, sought people uh, more than certainly more than we do in in the West uh, people then from based on the reading I've done from, of Chinese of Chan and, Buddha, and Chinese Buddhism uh, supernormal powers were something seen as seen as desirable to acquire and of course also wisdom virtue but he's saying here all of these all of these arise from sitting meditation and we say the same thing hakuen uh, some uh, seven or five hundred years later hakuen who of course was Japanese, he said the same thing in his chant in praise of Zazen. Upholding the precepts, repentance, giving itself. Upholding the precepts, repentance, giving the countless good deeds and the way of right living, all of that comes from Zazen. Zazen uh, taken literally means uh, sitting Zen. Za means sitting. Zen, never forget, Zen practice is much more than sitting. Question. 
So this is in the form of questions and answers. Question, what does it mean that sitting meditation is the root source of all the teachings? And then Daikaku. Meditation is the inner mind of the enlightened ones. Discipline is their outer character. Doctrine is their speech. All come from the enlightened mind of the Buddhas. Therefore, meditation is considered fundamental. Meditation is the inner mind of the enlightened ones. Here, I think what he's saying is that meditation at its best is is the, 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 the very nature, the essential mind of the enlightened ones. And in Zen, this doesn't mean meditating on something. That's, that's what can be misleading about the word meditation. It really, what it means in its, in its purest form, from a Zen perspective, it is no mind. It is attaching to nothing in the mind. Which is different from having no thoughts. The brain is such that it will more or less continuously generate thought activity. That's what that's its function to generate at least some some base level of of thought activity. And that we just have to make peace with. We're going to have thoughts arising in the mind as we sit. But the point is not to attach to them, not to cling to them, or not to try to suppress them or stop them. Either of those extremes is delusion. Fighting them, fleeing them, clinging to them, doing anything with them is a mistake. And then we find that uh, if we can refrain from engaging with the thoughts in any way, positively or negatively, holding to them or pushing them away, if we can, we can refrain from getting involved with them in any way, they tend to settle on their own. And how do we refrain from engaging with these thoughts when we're so deeply habituated to engaging with them? How do we do that? Well, it's very hard, but then we have the enormous help of a practice, a particular practice, a breath practice, a koan practice, or shikantaza. <coughs> we have these different practices uh, that we work on as a way of detaching from thoughts. So, 
when he says meditation is the inner mind of the enlightened ones. If if one were to wonder, okay, what is a Buddha? You know, look at that a Buddha figure on an altar or a photograph or a print or a painting. What's going on in her mind? Well, not a lot. What's going on in the mind of a cat as it ambles along on the ground outside? Maybe he sits down. Just maybe looking about a little bit. One ear twitching. Maybe licking its paw. What's going on in its mind? The mind of a Buddha is no mind. Freedom from entanglement in thought. From, from entanglement in concepts. So meditation, when he refers to that, he means in its purest form, means beyond thought. Meditation is the inner mind of the enlightened ones. Oh, but let me also for sure mention that a Buddha has great capacity to think when it's called for. When you need to think. And we have this stupendous canon of sutras that came down from the Buddha. Some of the most subtle and sophisticated teachings one could ever imagine. So any Buddha has great ability to think and articulate, but only doesn't, doesn't do that when it's not called for. Daikaku says, discipline is their outer character. Discipline is a direct, kind of a literal translation of the word shila, S-I-L-A, the uh, Sanskrit word for, sometimes it's translated as a morality. Discipline's a good word, self-discipline, self-restraint, or morality. Morality is their outer character. Morality, moral conduct uh, is the manifestation of the Buddha mind, the enlightened mind. Question. The method of meditation is formless and thoughtless. Spiritual qualities are not obvious and there is no proof of seeing reality so how can we believe in this? So this is what I meant a minute ago, saying that uh, when Daikaku refers to meditation, uh, means it in the purest form. 
which is formless. That's the question. Then Daikaku, your own mind and the enlightened mind are one. Is that not spiritual quality? If you don't know your own mind, on whom can you call for witness and proof? Other than the identity of mind and Buddha, what proof do you seek? Well, this, this won't satisfy people who are looking for empirical proof. Him saying, uh, from the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. But that, that is Daikaku's experience. That's his proof, without a doubt. When he says, your own mind and the enlightened mind are one, maybe just to put a little finer point on it, in Zen we might, it's, it's, it's perhaps a little more correct to put it in the negative. Your own mind and the enlightened mind are not two. What's the difference, he might wonder, between one and not two? Well, as soon as you say, we're all one, then one can, that's taking a, a stand, it's, it's, it's affirming, it's making an assertion, we're one, my mind and the enlightened mind are one, and as soon as we make an assertion, uh, then we're, that, that assertion is subject to um, argument. But if you say they're not two, then this is a more uh, comprehensive, uh, a kind of purer position to take. Question, how can the ability to cultivate the teaching of one mind compare to myriad practices cultivating myriad virtues? Uh, cultivate, when you hear cultivate uh, in these Zen texts, uh, just think of uh, practice, counting the breath. That's cultivation, following the breath, cultivation. Koan work, that's cultivation. So he's, the questioner is putting his finger here on a, a something uh, unique, maybe, I think, about Zen practice is the simplicity of it. That is the, the non-complicated, uncomplicated nature of it. We have, each of us has this one practice we're working on. How can the ability to cultivate the teaching of one mind, that's the practice, cultivating one mind, no mind, I would say, is better. How can that compare to the many different practices that, that are used to develop many different virtues 
when I was on my, uh, my, I don't know, one of my pilgrimages, maybe the one in Tibet or Nepal, uh, this was something that came up uh, once or twice. Where um, Tibetan uh, cult, um, practitioners of Tibetan Buddhism, which has many different kinds of practices of visualization and prayer and other other things, uh, one of them might say, "Well, well, Zen, all you've got is just one or two things: breath practice, koan practice." We have all of these many different kinds of practices in, in implying <laughs> that more is better. <laughs> and indeed, for Tibetan practitioners, it may be better for them. Um, and here, this questioner is... is Raising the same question. So, Daikaku's answer. When you suddenly awaken to the pure, clear meditation of those who realize thusness, the six transcendences and myriad practices, the many practices, are complete within your body. Thus, the one practice of meditation includes all practices. Haven't you heard it said that the three realms are only one mind? That outside of mind there is nothing else? Even if you do cultivate many different practices, if you don't know the mind, you cannot realize enlightenment. And how can there be any way to fulfill the way of the Buddha if you don't realize enlightenment? Well, fulfilling the way of the Buddha, always remember, Buddha means enlightenment. Don't get caught in this historical personage who lived in India 2,500 years ago. Fulfilling the way of the Buddha is fulfilling our own Buddha nature, our awakened, our, our intrinsically enlightened nature. How can we do that, he's saying, if you don't realize enlightenment? If you, don't, if you haven't realized who you really are, your enlightened nature, how can you fulfill it? <laughs> On the other hand, we can, people can spend years and years, decades and decades, perfecting different kinds of prayer and visualization uh, practices, um, prostrations, um, and never, and still not, realize their own mind. And so in doing that, in doing those many practices, there's no question, but we are... De developing 
our bodhisattva nature. Those are all practices of of the bodhisattva to um, help oneself and help others. But it's it's not fulfilling the way of the Buddha, as as Daikaku puts it. That's his point. It can make you a much better person, a more giving, generous, loving, compassionate person, doing all these different practices. And it's a very high attainment indeed to, to go that far on the Bodhisattva path. But it's not enlightenment. It's all preparation for enlightenment for the realization of one's inherent enlightenment. Question, how should we practice this method? Even if we practice, we're not sure of attaining enlightenment and fulfilling Buddhahood. And if it's uncertain, even if we do practice, what is the benefit? Well, I bet just about Everyone who heard that question could answer it pretty well, you know, because this, this, uh, it's, it's the framing of the question is such that, well, what's the point if we don't meet our goal? And let's let Daikaku take that one. This school, meaning Zen or Chan, this school is an exceedingly deep and subtle teaching. Once you have heard it, it becomes an excellent cause for enlightenment for all time. An ancient said, Those who hear this, even if they don't believe, have blessings greater than humans or gods. Those who practice even without attainment eventually reach Buddhahood. Uh, this this pairing, this uh, dyad of humans and gods, uh, Daikaku used that that uh, reference a little bit earlier. Um, these these are the two highest of the six realms of unenlightened existence: the so-called gods uh, or devas. Uh, this is considered the highest of the unenlightened states. Because it's it's a, it's a state of uh, great fortune, of pleasure, of uh, perhaps wealth, ease, a life of ease, um, and that's the, the 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 highest of the six unenlightened. And then the one right below it is considered the human realm, which is a hell of a lot better than the ones below it especially the realm of hell, realm of hungry ghosts and thirsty spirits, the realm of animals, and yes, even the realm of, of asuras or fighting demons, those who are, who are compulsively competing uh, for power over others. That's, this is a common formulation in, in uh, Zen and Chan texts, as humans and gods. So, uh, as, as, as 
desirable as those two states are, these two highest states of unenlightened, unenlightened existence, they're still not enlightened. They're still not the realm of, of Buddhahood. So again, he's quoting this ancient master. Those who hear this, even if they don't, even if they don't believe, that's that's strong stuff. So if you were, uh, I don't know, sitting on a bus, a city bus, and you were reading this aloud, um, the bus driver or the passenger near you, he's Daikaku is saying, Even if they don't believe it, they have blessings greater than humans or gods. Well, take it or leave it. You don't have to believe that. He's just a great enlightened master, but you don't have to believe that. And then, and then he, he, he again says, those who practice even without attainment eventually reach Buddhahood. No hour of sitting is wasted. It's all part of the process of purification, leading us inexorably to awakening. Daikaku continues, this teaching is the school of the enlightened mind. The enlightened mind itself basically has no delusion or enlightenment, doesn't have that split, doesn't have that division. This is actually the subtle art of those who realize thusness. Even if you don't become enlightened, when you sit once in meditation, you are a Buddha for that sitting. When you sit for a day in meditation, you are a Buddha for a day. When you sit in meditation all your life, you are a Buddha all your life. The same is true of the future. One who can have faith in this is someone with great potential. Faith. Here too, when he says, uh, if you, you sit in meditation, if you sit in meditation, for one sitting, you're a Buddha for that sitting, and so forth. Um, he's not really saying if you if you just assume a sitting posture and lapse into fantasies and thoughts, uh, then you're a Buddha. No, it's it's a higher bar than that. If you if you cross your legs and you sit, or on a chair with a mind free of attachment to thoughts. Right there, you're a Buddha. That's it. You may not have confirmed that through awakening, but you are. Or put it this way, to the degree that you're free of thoughts, and that could be all different degrees of that, 
to the degree that you're free of thoughts, you're a Buddha. Enlightened. And then again, one who can have faith in this is someone with great potential. The importance of faith. Faith in the purity of this mind, our own mind. Faith in the fact that we have all been equally endowed with this essential nature. That faith can take us through a lot of trouble in our sitting. It's probably the single most important quality, single, single most important resource of in Zen meditation is faith in the completeness, the perfection of our own nature. Because that will be challenged, that faith will be challenged as we encounter all kinds of garbage in the mind. It's the faith that leads us through those states. And if we're, if we're practicing seriously, then we will be running into obstacles in the mind. If you run into no obstacles, then maybe you're just sort of skimming along the surface. But the obstacles can be of so many different kinds. Restlessness. These are the, 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 the classic five hindrances. Our desire. Think of all the different kinds of cravings or desires we might have while we're sitting. And that can include the craving for enlightenment, which is a, an obstacle in itself. So desire, aversion, aversion is just another word for that which we don't want, don't like. Desire, aversion, restlessness, torpor, meaning sluggishness, laziness, that's four, desire, aversion, restlessness, torpor. Those are like two pairs. And then the fifth is the real killer, doubt. Doubt in the practice, doubt in the teacher. Doubt in the words of the Buddha, doubt in the Dharma. And what these really can be winnowed down to is doubt in oneself. Doubt in one's essential nature. Question. So then he says, I can practice too. How should I rest my mind and how should I use my mind? Well, let me just say before giving you Daikaku's answer 
you all know this. Anyone hearing this, anyone, anyone who practices, certainly anyone in, in this sashin knows how to do it. There's a method called breath practice, koan practice, shikantaza. How should I rest my mind? How should I use my mind? But let's, in Daikaku's words, the enlightened mind has no attachment to appearances. Detachment from appearances is the character of reality. Here, appearances, uh, one way to understand this is He's talking about the phenomena of the body and the mind. Any number of phenomena. That includes everything. Every kind of thought or fantasy, uh, emotional state, physical state. Those are all what he would call, I think what he's calling here, appearances. Detachment from all of these phenomena is the character of reality. That's reality. Not attaching to any body-mind phenomena. Detachment from those things is the character of reality. Among the four modes of conduct, and this is another kind of uh, traditional formulation in Buddhism, the four modes of conduct, walking, standing, sitting, and lying, lying down, among those four, sitting is considered to be stable and tranquil. This means sitting straight and contemplating the characteristics of reality. Well, contemplating, I think what I would say is, it means sitting straight and seeing the nature of the mind of reality. Looking into the mind, seeing the mind, is seeing reality. So he's singling out sitting. Uh, because it's, I would put it this way, sitting is the easiest way to have the mind settle into its own nature. Lying down... Uh, it's more difficult because the mind tends to be more dispersed. Um, and really the same with walking, even standing. Standing still is pretty good. But the, even so, when you're standing, the limbs are not collected. So he's emphasizing the importance of sitting. Now, it's important to understand that that, uh, that even though sitting uh, is the most solid um, platform from which to concentrate the mind, it, it is not the only one. What's so what's so important about it is that it enables us in activity to more easily detach from body-mind phenomena. And then the question, please explain in detail 
the meaning of sitting straight and contemplating reality. Daikaku. Sitting straight means sitting cross-legged as the Buddhas do. Contemplating reality means sitting meditation. Forming the symbol of absorption in the cosmos. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Want to know what that is? Don't worry. You're all doing it. Forming the symbol of absorption in the cosmos. Uh, there's a footnote here. Uh, describes the sitting posture, left palm up, left hand on the right palm, thumb tips joined to form a circle, symbol of the body of reality with no lack or excess, beginningless and endless, perfect and complete as a sphere. And then he continues, body and mind unmoving, We're going to much more easily have the mind come to rest when the body is unmoving. Eyes half open. You should see all compounded thing, things as like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows. In other words, nothing of any substance to them. Everything all mental or physical phenomena. Don't get hung up in thought about them. This is, this is such basic instruction. And it's from the 13th century. This is exactly how Zen is still taught and practiced. Just what he's saying. Don't get hung up in thought about thoughts and feelings and emotions. Question. Crossing the legs and making the symbol with the hands is the comportment of the realized ones but why keep the eyes half open? <coughs> then Daikaku, when the eyes are fully open and you can see for a distance, your mind will be distracted by the profusion of objects. Yet if you close your eyes, you will fall into a state of darkness and oblivion and your mind is not clear. But when your eyes are half open, your thoughts don't race. Mind and body are one thusness. When you examine clearly, the afflictions of birth and death cannot be approached. This is called fulfilling Buddhahood right where you are. The meaning of great capacity and great function. A half open, I think there were many years uh, in my own history of practice where I misunderstood that and I later discovered that I was my my I was looking down too far while I was sitting 
my eyes were on the floor uh, near the wall. And when they're, when they're there, your eyes are mostly closed. So <clears throat> I learned the hard way that uh, you'll do much better if you can keep your gaze a couple feet up from the floor. Your gaze on the wall should be two, maybe two and a half feet, depending on your height when you're sitting, uh, a couple feet up from the from the uh, floor. Um, and that's that's half open. Well, this uh, brings us to the end of our time today, so we'll stop now and recite the four vows. <clears throat> 